As we come to God's word, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'll open our hearts and minds to hear your word for us. Make it personal, make it true, may it go down deep. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Why bother with church? Just last week I was walking the dog and was walking alongside someone. We were chatting away and she asked what I did. It was always interesting when I give my response. And she very quickly explained that she had been brought up in a very, very strict religious school and it had put her off church. And so walking around the lovely part of New Zealand with her dog was her way of doing church. How many times have you heard something along these lines? Something where people have given up the local church. Why? Because maybe it's caused offence. Someone said something and they didn't like it, or the minister didn't notice something or did notice something, whatever reason. Or maybe it's out of boredom. Maybe it's they've just found an alternative to do something on their Sunday mornings. But they've ditched the local church. Now, if anyone had reason to turn their back on the local church, it was the Apostle Paul. When he came to the Lord, nobody wanted to know him. Imagine that. I'm sure they were praying for him to come to the Lord, and then he did, and then they didn't believe him. They kept him at arm's length. They were sceptical. And even when the other apostles accepted him and embraced him, Paul was always being attacked by false teachers and their followers. Some Christians intentionally misunderstood Paul. Others he had serious disagreements with. Others let him down badly. And in what may be the saddest verse in all of his letters, he writes this to his dear friend Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. Paul writes, At my first defence, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. If anyone knew how disappointing a local church could be and had excuses to leave it, it was Paul. So why then was Paul so loyal to the church? Why did he pour his energy and his heart and his soul, even his life, into a place that brought so much pain? And this is such a relevant question for us today because over the last few decades, what began as a trickle has become a steady flow of people leaving the local church and going, well, nowhere, just leaving. So this is the big question that we're going to address this morning. Why bother with church? we'll see Paul unpack three powerful images used to describe the local church and how Christ is our cornerstone, which makes all the difference, and then we'll look at some implications in detail. So let's jump into our Ephesians reading. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now, with those two introductory words, so then, Paul is saying, everything that I've said in chapter 2, I'm now going to bring into a concluding head. I'm going to bring it to a point. And so we need to just briefly recap what the so then means. Chapter 2 was all about us being estranged, separated from God and separated from God's people. In fact, we're told in the beginning of chapter 2 that we were all dead all dead in our sins. Verse 12 sums up how grim things were. Remember that you at that time 
separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, having no hope and without God in the world. That's what we used to be like. But then there was the good news in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So it's because of this, because we were dead in our sins, because we were separated from God and separated from God's people, but now brought close. So then, so then, verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And so here Paul introduces two of these three images that identify us being together as church. We are citizens of a kingdom, and we are members of a household, members of a family. And then in verse 21, which we'll look at in a few moments, we also see that we are part of a temple structure. Three things, three images for the church. We are citizens of a kingdom, members of a household, and we are stones, living stones in a temple. Let's unpack each of those. Let's explore each of those in turn, starting with being citizens of a kingdom. Now, Paul introduces this with a contrast. We used to be strangers and aliens. It's another word for foreigners. We used to be strangers and foreigners, outsiders and shut out. But now, because we're brought near by the blood of Christ, we are fellow citizens. Now, how do you become a citizen of a country? Well, the easiest way is to be born in that country. How do you become a citizen of the kingdom of God? The only way is to be born into that kingdom. The apostle Peter puts it like this. Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into the living hope. Born again into the kingdom of God. Born again as citizens of the kingdom of God. If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is your Lord, you are saved. You were born again, and you were born into the kingdom of God as a citizen. Now, some of us who are Kiwis, we take our Kiwi citizenship with all its benefit for granted. However, you only have to spend some time overseas or be a non-resident living in New Zealand to know how blessed it is to be a Kiwi and to be a citizen here. It can be similar with those of us who grew up in the church. Uh, we can also take belonging to a local church for granted. It's those who know what it's like to be on the outside, those who didn't grow up in a church but then became Christians. They often appreciate their new citizenship much more than we who grew up in the church. But anyway, that's the first image that Paul used. We are citizens of a kingdom. The second thing is, he says, we are members of a household. We are members of a family home. Now, this shouldn't be a surprise to us because all through the New Testament, it makes it very clear that God is our heavenly Father. Just a few verses earlier, in verse 18, Paul wrote, For through him... That's through Jesus. We both have access in one spirit to the Father, Ephesians 2.18. What he's talking about is both the Jew and the Gentile. Because of Christ, now we have access, free access to our heavenly Father. 
because of all that Christ did and doing for us, that access is open and free. And Paul draws this warmth of being part of the household of God in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, where Paul says, Be imitators of God as beloved children. It's a lovely phrase, that. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. And those of us who are privileged enough to be parents know that there are times when our young children, they, well, they, they copy us. Because we are dearly loved by a heavenly father, we imitate, we copy our heavenly father. And that's all part of being the household of God. And when we get to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, we'll look at that some more, about being children dearly loved that imitate God. But that's a lovely glimpse of what it is to be part of the household of God. So those are the first two images. We are citizens of the kingdom. We are members of the household. And the third image that Paul used is that we are, are stones, living stones in a temple. Now, sometimes the Bible uses the image of a temple where we are priests and we are worshippers, like in 1 Peter chapter 2. But here, Paul is likening us to being living stones as part of the temple. And we see that in verse 20. And so we'll read that from verse 20. For we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. Now, most Bible scholars and teachers agree that the phrase apostles and prophets, we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, is referring to the Bible because it was the apostles who wrote the New Testament and prophets who wrote the Old Testament. So that's a phrase of Paul saying that our foundation is both the New and the Old Testament. And of course, all of this is connected. The foundation is connected to the cornerstone. Both the Old and the New Testament point to Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. And this cornerstone is vital because if the cornerstone is out of aligned, if it's flawed or even if it's missing then the whole temple structure is compromised and can fall down. And so we are being built together as we grow in faith, as we worship together, as we serve together. And the reason why we've been built together is so that we can be a temple, a place for the Holy Spirit to dwell so if someone asks where the Holy Spirit is, we can hand on heart say the Holy Spirit dwells on every Christ follower. Everyone who has asked Christ into their lives has the Holy Spirit in them. But equally so and more powerfully, we can say that the Holy Spirit dwells in the local church. Now we're not talking about the physical building here. We're talking about you and I God's gathered people, we are church. And the Holy Spirit is with us today in a way that is unique and is different. We could all gather in someone's very large garage or down at a conference center. And we would still be God's gathered people. We would still be church. We would still be the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. So there we have it. We have these three powerful images of what it's like to be in church. We are citizens of the kingdom, members of a household, and stones, living stones in a temple. 
But Paul's also doing something very special here with these images. There's a progression. Can you see a progression here? And there's a progression in two ways. First of all, there's a progression in our closeness to God. Our closeness to God. And so let's start with the first image, citizens of the kingdom. How close is the king with his subjects? I mean, does the king know each of his subjects by name? Does he know their hopes and fears? Well, no, he doesn't. I mean, I did have a, come across a good example during the week of someone who did this pretty well. Now and again, I watch war documentaries. Judy rolls her eyes, normally does something else. But I watched this war documentary on the Africa Corps. There'll be a small minority that are with me on this. And General Rommel. Now, General Rommel was incredibly well-loved by his men. They willingly put their life on the line, even against great odds. And why did they do that? Not only was Rommel a very competent commander and strategizer, but he spent a lot of his time in that half-truck going through to the front lines and speaking to his troops. Not just the officers, but to the enlisted men. In fact, back at HQ, at headquarters, they were very frustrated because more than half the time they had no idea where their commander was, and he was supposed to be running this war. But he was spending a lot of his time with his troops. And because of that, his troops loved him. And they fought for him in an incredible way. And so a general with his soldiers is very similar to a king with his citizens. But even Rommel did not know each soldier by name. Rommel did not know their family members. Rommel did not know their hopes and fears and dreams. Citizenship. There's a distance between the citizen and the king or the soldier and the field marshal. However, this closeness changes with the next image, and that's that of a household. You see, unlike citizens with a king, everyone in a loving household is close to the father. Everyone in a loving household has open access to their father. And an attentive father, and our heavenly father is very attentive, he knows each member of the household's dreams and aspirations and fears and weaknesses and loves them anyway. And there's a unique and very special closeness. And then we come to the third image, the image of a stone in a temple, where we are butted up, buttressed up against the next stone. Just a thin layer of mortar between us and the next person. But also we are directly connected to Christ, the cornerstone. And you can't get any closer to this. We are connected directly to the cornerstone and the Holy Spirit dwells in us. So you notice the closeness we are getting as we go through these three images. Citizens of the kingdom, members of the household, but then stones in the temple. And each one of those, we get closer and closer to our Heavenly Father. But there's also a second progression with these three images, and it's the closeness to each other. As you move through that, we get closer to each other. Fellow citizens, what do you have in common with your fellow citizen? Uh, maybe you belong to a golf club and you rock up on a Saturday morning and you get teamed up with three other people that you don't know. But they're citizens. You're members of a golf club. So what do you have in common? Well, you might have two or three points in common. You play golf, obviously. 
you're a Kiwi, obviously, or at least living in New Zealand, but you may have a few other things. You might have family members the same age or something like that. So you have some points of contact, but you're not that close. There's a sense of solidarity and unity because we are in the citizens, but you're not that close. But that all changes when you move to the household. You are super close to everyone in that household. Siblings know each other very well, warts and all. You can't hide when you live under the same roof and when you share the same meals. And in some households, it's first up, best dressed. And so you cannot hide from people like that. There's a level of transparency in a family that you do not get in a golf club or any other sort of community activity. And if you step out of line, then there's always a sibling ready to pull you back into line. But there's also a sibling who cheers with us in our successes, cries with us in our disappointments, and laughs with us in our joy. And this is what the household of God is like. Brothers and sisters, a lot closer than being a citizen. And finally, there's the closeness of being fitted together in the temple. And now we are super close to each other. There's just a thin bit of mortar between us and the stone below us, above us, on either side of us. And we did not choose those stones. We did not choose. You may have chosen the person you've sit next to in church, but you probably didn't choose the person who's sitting behind you in front of you. Stones. We trust that the master builder has chosen those stones well to be next to us. But we are super close when we are living stones in the temple of God. And it's the closeness to Christ that makes all the difference in this. As we are connected with Christ, we can be connected with God and we can be connected with others. If we break that connection to the cornerstone, then our relationships with God and each other start to fail. We can think of Christ as the prime minister of the kingdom. We can think of Christ as the big brother in the family. And we know that Christ is the cornerstone of the temple to which we are living stones. Let's try and pull all this together to make some more sense of it. The reason why Paul stuck with the local church, even when he had multiple reasons to walk away, was because of these three reasons. You cannot be a fellow citizen, a member of a household, or stones in a temple by yourself. It has to be in the context of a local church. And that is why Paul stuck with the church. Think about it. You cannot be the only citizen of a country. You cannot say, there's the king and myself and we make up a country. I mean, it's nonsense, isn't it? Especially if the person next to you says, oh, well, I have the same king. So you can't be a citizen of a country by yourself. You cannot say, well, you cannot be the only member of a household. You cannot say, there's my father and myself, and we are a household. That's nonsense, especially when the person in front of you turns around and says, oh, well, we have the same father. And if someone says you've got the same father, that means you must be a brother or sister. You cannot choose to be a household of God by yourself. Judy and I, unexpectedly, we had some time in Karatani a week or so ago, and that tends to be an hour or so drive away from my brother. So we made a real effort to see each other, and it was great. And we caught up because we're brothers, and that's what you do. <laughs> we have the same father, the same 
mother, and it's a joy. Sadly, of course, we do have some folk that are estranged from their biological fathers, but that's not the way it's supposed to be, is it? With our biological families and with our spiritual families, we are brothers and sisters together. And finally, you cannot be the only stone in a temple. cannot just be you and the cornerstone. Otherwise, you've got a smaller stone sitting on a bigger stone, and that's all. And there's no place for the Holy Spirit to dwell. Everything I've said this morning about fellow citizens, households, temples, is all sentimental claptrap. It's rubbish. It's just a waste of time, unless we work that out in the local church. And that's why Paul did not give up on the local church, but actively put his life on the line for the people that Christ died for. This is why we need to not only attend a local church, but to actively participate, support, and contribute. Because we can't be a citizen, a member of a household, or a part of a temple on our own. And so, uh, what are the implications? We cannot reject the local church. That's the first thing. We cannot reject the local church. Like the person I was walking alongside with last week, we cannot use excuses to not attend. But you might say, well, Douglas, I'm looking for the perfect church. And we all know that if you did find the perfect church and you joined it, it wouldn't be perfect anymore. It's because we're all broken. Someone else might say, but all the churches in Cromwell are rubbish. And it may or may not be true, but God says commit anyway. If a church is Bible-believing and Christ-centered, we have no excuse. Now, sadly, some churches are not Bible-believing or Christ-centered, and we would be wise to give them a miss. But if we find a church that is Bible-based and Christ-centered, then that's a church that we can call home. So that's the second implication. We do commit to a local church. Paul, who had every reason to walk away, was committed to his local church. His local church was the church in Antioch. And there, he was a church leader. He was an elder. If they called it a session, he would have been an elder on session. Not sure what they called it that day, but he was committed to Antioch. And when he was in Antioch, he was there every Sunday worshipping. Now, his work took him all around the empire. But whenever he was in a place, he would go to the local church. Now, because of his calling, he would often purposely go to a place without a church, so he would start it. That's commitment. But when he was at Ephesus, and where, you know, he's writing to this, to Ephesus, for over a year and a half, where was he on a Sunday? Well, he was at the local church. He was committed. And so we also commit like Paul. And what does that look like in a local church? Well, when you're baptized as an adult, you automatically become a member of that church. So membership is a way of showing a commitment to a local church. Now, of course, if you're baptized into one church and then you move out of that community for whatever reason, then you don't get rebaptized again. You get welcomed into membership, which acknowledges that you have been baptized, but that you are now committed to the local church. In the Presbyterian governance, we do that by confession, which means that a person comes to the front and is asked very similar vows to their baptism vows. Is Jesus your Lord? 
Don't you believe in God's word? Are you prepared to commit yourself to this local body of believers? And when they say yes, they are then welcomed in and become members of this local church. And if you'd like to be a member, if you haven't, we've got a number of folk. It's lovely to have a number of folk that have been starting to worship with us over the last year or two. But if you want to become a member, then let me know so that we can go through that process and you can commit to the local church. We're not perfect, but we have a heart for Christ. We want to give him the honor, all the honor and the glory. And the final implication is we enjoy the benefits of the local church. Even though there are times when we pull our hair out in despair or are a bit grumpy about what's happened at church or what the ministers said or something, there are significant benefits in belonging to a local church. We worship together. People with musical abilities bless us with their music. Grown faith together, we serve together, we fellowship together. Try and do that by yourself. <laughs> we support each other in the bad times, we laugh with each other in the good times, we hold each other accountable, we warn those who stray. Now, I stumbled across this quote during the week and it sat with me so well. This is a quote by uh, Megan Hill in a book called A Place to Belong. And she writes, In the church, we have a community of people who are willing to lovingly warn us away from the soul-destroying brink of sin and who will lower a rescue rope if we ever tumble over. I just thought that was a lovely definition of church. Now, church is a lot more than that, but I pray that that will be what we will be like, that we will lower a rescue rope for those that have strayed so that they can come back into God's family. There are so many benefits from committing to a local church, not least of all because it pleases the Father heart of God. And so what of my dog walking companion as I was listening to her recount her strict Christian upbringing, her leaving of the church and replacing it with nature, I responded with a gentle reminder that it's all about Jesus. It's when we're centred on Christ that the local church remains fresh and relevant and rewarding. For when we get this right, every local church becomes immensely rewarding very beautiful and a great joy to our Heavenly Father. And it's my prayer that we will become exactly like this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessings of the local church. Here we are, Lord, and you know us more than we know ourselves. You know our strengths and our weaknesses. You know when we do well. We know, you know when we trip up over our own feet. But we thank you that you have chosen us to be living stones. We thank you that we are each one connected to Jesus, the cornerstone. And we thank you that your Holy Spirit loves to dwell amongst us. Help us, Lord, to grow into what it means to be your children, dearly loved. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.